Hey, everybody, you're on the home front here on WILI AM 1400 and 95.3 FM. My name is John Murphy. Really happy to be here with you every Wednesday from 5 to 6. We have another very busy show today. We're going to look at the arts up at UConn with the Jorgensen Center for the Performing Arts. We're also going to talk about starting up the Connecticut Volunteer Income Tax Assistant Program. This has been going on for many years with the United Way. They're trying to recruit volunteers to get trained to help people prepare their income taxes for free. That's been going on for many years. It's a great program. We'll talk about that later in the show. But right now, sitting next to me in the house is Jay Osborne, who was here a few months ago. Jay is a member of the Wyndham Mills Tenant Union here in town, and they have some good news to share about some town activities here. And we also have someone on the phone who was with us before from New Haven is Luke, uh, his name is uh, Luke Malakanos Harrison. He is a union vi vice president for the Connecticut Tenants Union. Welcome back to the show, Luke. It's good to have you here today as well. Great to be here. Thanks. Okay. So everybody is all set now. I'm going to have Jay start out with the good news from the Wyndham Town Council about tenant rights. So I was explaining that the uh, Connecticut has a law that mandates any town or city that has over 25,000 residents that they create a fair rent commission, uh, which would basically allow uh, tenants to take their complaints um, with the housing issues, unscrupulous um, rent increases, et cetera, right. to a local council member um, and have their cases adjudicated in that form rather than having to go to uh, superior court or housing court, um, as it were. So Will Willimantic do doesn't have the mandate because we have less than 25,000 members. Now, right? Close. We're about 600 people short. But the town council has elected to create a fair rent commission on its own voluntarily, which is very, very positive. It's very encouraging. Um, and, you know, just as an anecdotal point, people have said, well, why do we need this in this area? Um, everything's just fine. And I'll use myself as an example. I received uh, a rent, uh, an offer of a lease renewal just a week ago, and the proposed new lease was $1,400. I currently pay $900 per month for my rent. So they're proposing a $500 per month increase. That would be something that a fair rent commission would uh, likely take up as a case yeah. and rule upon whether that is fair or not. It is 50%, so it's worth attention. And uh, it's happening everywhere as well. Now, this is the tenant, uh, well, sorry, this is the Wyndham Mills now. You've been there. Correct. Uh, you've been here in town for about eight years now, right? In Willimantic, correct. Right. Have you heard of other neighbors going through the same uh, kind of sticker shock? Well, that's part of the problem. So many folks have no recourse, they move out. I have never seen such a revolving door anywhere I've ever lived in my life. I've lived in New London for eight years, Washington, D.C. for four years, New York City for ten years, working in affordable housing at yeah. that time. Right. And I've never seen such a revolving door. The instability that this is creating for not only our building, but our community is really concerning. You think about the children who are enrolled in school who are moving year after year after year because their parents are getting $400, $500 increases. Who yeah. can sustain that? It's absolutely out of control, and Connecticut really does need to address it. Yeah, and there's been more and more coverage. The Connecticut mayor's been doing a great job. The housing shortage, high demand, prices going up way high. And the other thing that you talked about when you were here in the summer with Luke was 
ongoing building maintenance. Correct. There, there are some issues with everyday life that in the middle of all this rental stuff, uh, there's still leaks going on. Correct. Can you talk about that a little bit? As I was coming here, uh, one of my neighbors asked me if the elevator was working, and I live on the first floor, so I don't use the elevator. Right. And I said, oh, no. What? <laughs> Is it out? And she said, oh, yeah, it's been out all day. An elderly woman, you know, looking now to turn to the to the stairs. Um, no, maintenance, unfortunately, has not improved in any way. Um, and, again, these are the types of um, concerns that we look forward to being able to bring to yeah. a fair rent commission. Um, yeah. we, we do utilize our uh, code enforcement officers whenever possible, but we don't see – it seems to be a statewide trend. You don't see a lot of – action, so to speak. We make the complaints, and it seems to fall somewhat on deaf ears. Um, so our town council, Willimantic, has a very uh, active town council, and they're, they're looking to do something. Well, that's good news to share. And I should mention to folks, next week on the program, we're going to have people back on from Putnam at the Cargill housing project. They've had some serious pollution and other problems, and they're going to come back with an update on how they've been struggling with the town and the same idea of code enforcement and how it's not really working as well as it should. And folks just want to fix the system. We have a system. It's just not working well. Uh, so let's bring in Luke now because he's in, he's in the phone. That's where we're wearing our Captain Video helmets here today. Uh, but, Luke, thanks again for joining us today. And you wanted to be sure to focus on something new called the Just Cause Eviction. And you're trying to protect people from being thrown out of their places because they're not being bad tenants, but there's an economic thing going on. Yeah, that's right. So this is our priority legislation for this legislative session, which is a short session. It's going to begin on right. February 7th, uh -huh. run through May. So we'll see what the uh, legislature is willing to do this year, what the Housing Committee is willing to do. But what we're really pushing for is it's actually an expansion of a law that already exists in our state. So for over 40 years, Connecticut has a law in the books, a law in the books that says if you're over the age of 62, or you are disabled, and if you live in a building that's five units or more, you can't just be evicted for no reason at any time. You you can be evicted for major violation, violations of your lease if you're harassing your neighbors or if you stop paying rent. Uh -huh. But it's for for no what's called a no fault or a no cause eviction. It's simply the end of your lease, but you haven't done anything wrong. You can't be evicted, and that law was originally passed because those populations are vulnerable if they are evicted suddenly for no reason, likely to, you know, have a really difficult time recovering from that. Uh, and to be suddenly displaced when you're elderly or disabled is, is traumatic and, and very difficult. It is. What we've, what we've, as you can imagine, right? Now, what we've seen and what we're facing now is such an incredibly tight rental market that that law really has got to be expanded because as Jay was just describing in his own building, it's not just folks in that kind of protected category who are whose lives are being really upended, who are experiencing a constant housing insecurity and transience and displacement from landlords who are using no fault, no justified reason, no accusation being made against the tenant, but yet they're still being taken through a court process and evicted out of their homes. Uh, and us as the Connecticut Tenants Union have taken this up as our priority this year because of our experiences where folks who are dealing with issues like Jay's building, you know, neglected maintenance and 
non-responsive management, no communication, dramatic rent increases all of a sudden, dealing with issues like that and decide that they want to form a union and become organized as neighbors in order to approach their landlord together and try to negotiate for better housing conditions and fairer rent. Right. What the, what they know is sort of hanging over their head whenever their lease is up, or if they're month to month hanging over their head every single month, is their landlord's ability to, again, evict them without even making an accusation against them, but simply for no fault, no cause, which, as you can imagine, is a huge deterrent organizing or calling code enforcement or utilizing the Fair Rent Commission when that no-cause eviction can be right around the corner at any time. You sent me some links to recent articles in the Connecticut Mirror, and they've been doing a nice job covering this, and one of them pointed out a strategy that if I was a landlord and I wanted to get rid of you, uh, if I took advantage of the expiration renewal option as opposed to having to go to court, and evict you, that's time and money and resources rather than just kind of waiting until the clock runs out. Is that happening more often now? So we are seeing that happen a lot. We're seeing a couple of things. One is, yeah, we're seeing landlords not renew leases at all when that first year is up. Often tenants will reach out and say, hey, I'd like to renew my lease, but they won't hear back and they'll be left in this limbo of being on month to month. Yep. Another thing we're seeing is that some of especially the bigger landlord companies are putting a clause in their lease that will say something like, if you don't renew your lease and you go month to month, your rent will go up 20%, 25% automatically. Hmm. And then, and then, but you know, and then yet still not renew people's leases. So they're really in a limbo of all of a sudden it's like a, it's almost like a sneaky rent increase because it's built into the lease. And if the landlord just, doesn't respond to you when you're trying to renew, now you're paying suddenly 25% more and yet still be stuck in the insecurity of a month-to-month lease. So it, it really leaves a lot of people in a precarious situation. Uh, and again, like you said, when when people are in that kind of situation and they're not getting a response by renewing their lease, a lot of people will try to find a different living situation, although it's often a real decrease in people's quality of life. They're doubling yeah. up with family or adding roommates or downsizing. Mm-hmm. More people are sharing space. You know, people's quality of life is going down. But what they're trying to do is, is avoid an eviction because once that eviction is on your record, as you can imagine, it becomes even harder to try to find a new place to rent. And so people will go to great lengths to avoid the whole court process of eviction. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's really sad to see how people's quality of housing is decreasing as they're getting squeezed and more and more people's paychecks is going to the rent. Just want to mention, in case you've joined us here on the radio or YouTube, we're talking about tenant unions in Connecticut and the housing situation with uh, Luke Melanakos Harrison as well as Jay Osborne. And I had a quick thing I wanted to ask about, Luke. Uh, one of the articles that you sent was from last September when you had a little victory in New Haven with somebody that for the first time you can help uh, a tenant negotiate with a management company. And I guess it was one of the first times. And I also understand something good happened in Waterbury with the union effort. Can you talk about any other state news? I'd be happy to. Yeah, we're, we're really proud of our victory in New Haven. And it was actually, it really paints the picture of how no-fault evictions, of the kind I was describing earlier, are sort of used to 
squash dissent and push people back into a corner. Yeah. But what happened there was the, the tenant union formed because this new mega landlord company bought this building where a lot of people had been living for a long time. The community felt there was a lot of trust among neighbors. You know, people had been there for a while. But this mega landlord company called Ocean Management yep. bought the building and did exactly what I was describing. Didn't renew anyone's leases and just left them month to month for over a year and a half. No one knew when the shoe was going to drop. And they formed a union out of that feeling of anxiety, not knowing how much the rent was going to go up and when. And so when they when they got their calls about the rent increases last summer, summer 2023, they had a union and an organization already in place, and they were prepared to respond. And so what they said was, we understand you're a new landlord. We've been reaching out about renewing our lease. What we want to do is negotiate with you over the rent. Because ever since you bought this building, services have gone down. Now we have a pest problem. We didn't have that before. Yeah. Maintenance is being neglected, et cetera. And yet you want to jack the rent up 30%. doesn't make sense. We want to negotiate. They started, they had a couple initial meetings about uh, a negotiation. But the uh, the landlord sort of lashed out after their second meeting and sent out 16 notices to quit, which is the first notice of an eviction process. You get that notice to quit and says you have to be out within 10 days, or if not, we're going to take you to court and evict you. And all of those evictions were for lapse of time. In other words, no fault. It wasn't for non-payment, destruction of property, anything else. It was just for no fault. So um, the, the real victory that came out of that was through the tenant union at the property and right. a lot of the broader community support in New Haven. Standing up, we had a huge protest. We did a press conference. We also filed a counter lawsuit um, saying that the, these evictions were retaliation. We got the landlord to back down, come back to the nego- negotiating table with the tenant union, and they're going to walk out of that whole situation with a longer-term lease with much more manageable and spread-out rent increases as well as a bunch of agreements that they were able to get the landlord to come to around pest control and communication and cleanliness of repairs and basic services for keeping the the place in good shape. So that was was a huge victory, and I think it demonstrates the power of tenant unions and the power of taking a little bit of the power back over housing so that it's not just so one-sided, which is what tenants are facing by and large right now. All righty, Luke. This is a good note to end our conversation for this time, though. This is our fifth time we've had people on talking about tenant unions. And again, next week, people are coming in from Putnam. But Luke, before you head out, you want to give one good website where people can track your work and find out more about other parts of the state and uh, get more, infor- you know, uh, more information. Absolutely. So our website is cttenantsunion.org. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at cttenantsunion. And um, you can also look up our Just Cause campaign. We want to get this law changed so that tenants are protected against no-fault evictions and can't be evicted for no reason. Yeah. And you can, you can look that one up at link.tree slash justcauseet. And uh, that's where you can find all the information about the campaign. 
Well, you know, we'll track how this goes through the session in February and March, and we'll try to have you back before spring to see how things are working out and to keep an update here in Wyndham as well with Jay Osborne. Uh, so thanks again for joining us, Luke. We appreciate that. I'm looking forward to having you back, all right? Now, uh, now Jay, uh, your address here locally is WyndhamMillsTU at gmail.com if you're in the area and want to learn more. Do you have any last thoughts before we wrap up? I would encourage anybody listening in the area to come out to a tenant council meeting and encourage our tenant council to not uh, waste any time in creating our tenant, our fair rent commission. Right. It's needed, and we needed it a long time ago, and we're grateful that they're doing it, sure. um, especially since they don't have a mandate to do it. They're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and that's impressive. That's a good note to end on as well. All right, so we'll have you back in, in the spring. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you. Okay, we're, we're taking a short break, and we'll come back looking at arts at UConn and then the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. Stay with us. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Good. Well done. Oh, yeah. They're great. I, I've been covering them forever. Great people. Yeah, they are. It's a good program. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be in touch, Jay. You have my phone number, right? Yes. Okay. So let me get your number in case I have to reach you. Absolutely. 860-234-4020. So let me know when things are happening in town, and we'll plan something about that. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. Oh. All right. Stay well. Good seeing you again. going more often now. We just been the last time, but it was a couple of years ago. I think the last time Frank Mack might have been with. Remember we did those shows with Frank? Yeah, I remember Frank's been gone for yeah, a long time. Well, a few years now. Yes, it goes faster than you think. Yes, it does. Okay, so we have this here. Okay. When was the last time you were with Wayno? Cuz you come on his show. Oh, uh, I was on it's been several years. It was okay. right here in okay. this spot, but Yeah. Okay. 40 seconds. 40 seconds. Don't need the headphones. We just had a phone call. We had a guest with the phone call about tenant unions. <clears throat> All right. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I don't believe it. And then we'll do a quick break, right? Uh, uh, after Rod, we'll do one spot. Yep. Then we'll trade guests, and I'll give some news. Yep. And if I need to, I'll throw in a couple more spots. Okay. If we need it. If we need it. Great. 15 seconds. Okay. At UConn, a total of 27. 27. Okay. Three, so. two, one. Okay, we're back on the home front today. We're very happy to have you with us. You might be listening to us on the AM live at AM 1400 or maybe 95.3 on the FM. We also videotape all of our shows for YouTube, and they're on the WILI YouTube channel where all of the morning and afternoon shows are online anytime for you to connect to our guests throughout the year on any device. We also give guests links to these so they can share their stories in their own media to help you get the word out. Uh, for the third segment of the show today, we're going to take a look at a great program from the United Way. It's the VITA program, Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. Right now, they're looking for training volunteers to help people file uh, later in the year. But right now, we're going to look at the arts at UConn with the director of the Jorgensen Center of the Performing Arts, 
I've had him on the program before, but it's been a while now, and I'm very happy to have Rodney Rock back in the house. Rodney, welcome back oh, to the studio. Thank you, John. Great to be back with you. So one thing we could do right off the top, maybe, is since we're coming into January, the academic year is about to blast off, oh, yeah. could you give us a few of your highlights uh, for the semester, things that you've planned ahead for? Oh, events. Um, I think, you know, artistic and cultural diversity has been a hallmark of Jorgensen programming for years now. And this season, the spring season of 24, is no different. Um, we're excited to be kicking off the season on the 27th of January with Step Africa, which is the only professional dance company dedicated to um, the tradition of step dancing, which grew out of the African-American, uh, primarily uh, historically uh, black colleges and universities in the U.S. in the early 20th century. And, and there are, if you go back further, there are connections with uh, Amer African-Americans back in the 17th, 18th century. Right. Um, but um, it's a great program. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, residency work with um, students from the National Panhellenic Council on campus. Um, there's also, from what I understand, there is um, a step group in Norwich and one in Hartford that we'd like to try to, to hook up with. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be a great way to kick off the season. And then we've just got, I think we've got 15 really great events um, we have, uh, we're very fortunate about mm, five years ago, Gene and John Lennard, who are former faculty members from UConn, established um, a chamber music endowment fund for Jorgensen. And so um, we, that, that's one, one art form that we don't have to worry about. We like to sell tickets, obviously. Of course. But, but financially, we're on solid ground with, with chamber music. And so we've got six great events this, this spring. Um, that range from uh, acapella music with um, uh, uh, from England. I'm drawing a blank on their name right now, which I'm so embarrassed. But that's okay. Um, uh, you've got oh, you've got <laughs> I see you've got the lineup right there. Um, King Singers are going to sure. be with us. Manazel Brass from Austria will be here. Um, the Takash Quartet will be performing in March with Mark Andre Hamlin, who's a very famous pianist. Right. We have the Benowitz Quartet from Prague. And then we have Ray Chen, who is a Taiwanese-Australian um, violinist, award-winning violinist. So um, yeah. it's a great way to kind of keep the season going. Now, you know, Jorgensen has a great website when you can follow all the events throughout the year. But the one thing I wanted to have fun with, with Rod is 27 years of service to the community. <laughs> You've seen changes going back to when the industry itself was shifting away from the economics of large orchestra touring. Oh, sure. Changes in the economics of any kind of repertoire. And I wonder when you look back, how have things shifted around that affect your choices? What's available to you when you throw the sticks up every year, mm. right? You have things that you know are going to be really great, so you can take a risk here, a little creativity with right. some stability. Mm -hmm. That's fun every year, even though you have to toss the sticks. Yeah. Probably the biggest challenge has been, uh, I, can I can still remember when um, we would program based on series. Um, there was a time, in, you know, historically, That's when true. Jorgensen would represent, would present six orchestras, That's six right. dance companies, six chamber events, That's twelve right. cabaret yeah. events, yeah. and probably twelve children and family events on Sundays. And um, uh, primarily, the 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 um, subscription format has kind of moved away. We still offer a subscription option that you can you can select kind of pick your own events. That's a very nice and, kind of a um, customer-friendly way. It's a nice way, way to, like, you know, 
give people a lot of opportunities. But as far as um, those large orchestral programs or something, it's very hard. Um, orchestrals, uh, orchestral programs, for example, um, we can't really even touch some of the, the, the orchestras that we used to bring in. Um, uh, there was a time back in the 70s and the 80s when Jorgensen, yes, did a number of national orchestras, like the Boston Symphony performed there, Philadelphia, New York City. Mm -hmm. um, that sort of gave way to more of the European orchestras, and maybe not the first-rung Europe European orchestras, but maybe the second- or third-rung orchestras like the Swiss Romand or the Gavantas or something like that. And at this point now... Um, that's really not possible to bring those orchestras back anymore. So yeah. um, we're still working. We, we, we tend to bring back one, maybe two orchestras, European orchestras, um, every year. Right. And um, we're very fortunate. We have some very generous patrons who um, sponsor those events with us. They're very devoted. And they're very devoted. And okay. so um, it's, it's a great way to keep that programming part of the mix. But um, in general... You know, we, we basically try to get a broad range of um, artistically and culturally diverse programs and um, put it together and package it in a season. If you want to buy multiple tickets to multiple events, that's wonderful. We love that. But, um, but it's a much different animal than it used to be, for yeah. sure. And when you look at funding for the arts today, are some of the sources shifting? When you look, well, you have state support, you have UConn support, but just in general for this kind of performance space, has their revenue pool shifted? Are they looking at more competition for fewer resources? Oh, I would say that's absolutely accurate, yes. Okay. More competition for fewer resources. Sure. Yeah. We're still, you know, we, um, we're doing, we're, we have, as I just mentioned, a, a good group of very generous local folks who are endowed sponsors for from several of our events every year. Um, we still may apply periodically for a grant from like the New England Foundation for the Arts. Right. Um, but in general, um, and, and you know, we always look for corporate sponsors as well. And um, Ruth Bukzimski and Nakabam in, in stores, for example, um, uh, Ruth is sponsoring um, the Sophia Symphony, which performs on February 12th. Um, but we, those are few and far between. Um, we are really left to our own devices to try to sell the, the right number of tickets. Um, and as you kind of referenced this earlier, you know, you, you can kind of take some risk on some events. Other events are more of a sure bet. And then hopefully if you play your cards right by the end of the season, it washes out and um, we're still standing. You're still saying that, and every once in a while, a, a sunshine comes along called Samara Joy. Yes. Oh, that my was, gosh. I was there that night. You were just floating. Oh, it you was. You were floating that night. Um, you know, we just, we found Samara Joy on TikTok. Really? And, TikTok? Mm-hmm. Whoa. And um, okay. I think anyone who has sort of, you know, any sort of... Uh, memory or relationship to jazz music, some of the great jazz singers of oh, the yeah. past, when they heard her sing, it was phenomenal. So I booked Samara Joy. Um, she was just at Jorgensen last fall. That's right. That was the second time. We had her a year ago. That was my first time. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm the luckiest her dog in the world. Her first record had just come out. It had first come out, and she had been nominated for two Grammy Awards. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, she announced that from stage on her first appearance in November of 22, and I was just like, I can't, you know, I can't buy this kind of stuff. It just happens. Oh. And then um, and then we had her back again 
this November. And um, I would love to bring her back. I'd love to do her holiday show. She's got a great holiday show. I don't know if you if you were able to see the lighting of the National Christmas Tree in D.C. No, I um, Samir Joy sang She's on that a, program with sure. her dad, who's a, a gifted singer himself in his own right. So um, Samira will be coming back. But um, I said the first time I heard Samira Joy, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is going to be the next Ella Fitzgerald or something like that. Maybe a Sarah Vaughan. Sarah Vaughan. Well, she's won the Sarah Vaughan uh, yeah. competition. Um, but I said, this is this young lady's destined for greatness. And um, I remember mentioning that to one of the agents that I work in New York City. And he was like, what? Are you kidding? And I was like, have you heard her? And he goes, well, no. And I went, talk to me when you after you hear yeah. her. He saw her in New York City and called me the next day and said, you're absolutely right. This lady's going to be big. So She's got a voice that will stop you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, phenomenal. So here's a hokey question now. I have to go back now because I like people who have had a lot of time, a lot of commitment over the years. What do you think some of the biggest changes you may have noticed over the audience, the mix of people coming in? Uh, anything in particular, you know, when you look backward or any particular changes in tastes? Um, that kind of well, thing. obviously, our older audience, which used to support the chamber events, the orchestral events, that audience has, by and large, declined kind True. of significantly. True. Um, and there is a, there is, seems to be a trend now for maybe some younger folks to come to those kind of concerts, to those, those, those classical concerts. Um, I think, the, I guess the one thing that we notice at Jorgensen the most is um, there was a time historically when there was like a core audience for Jorgensen, and you knew all of those folks in yeah. that core audience. Kind of cousins. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and these days, we don't have really a core audience anymore. We, we, we try to appeal to multiple audiences. So I'm always out in the lobby talking with people when they're coming in, and I'm always amazed at how few people I really know. There are lots of new people coming all the time. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest changes that I've noticed. Um, uh, we still have a devoted group of uh, local patrons. We have a group called the Jorgensen Co-Stars. And um, they help fund special projects for us throughout the year. And obviously those folks we know very, very well. But um, I'm, I'm always surprised at how many new folks are coming in. And, um, and we try to figure out ways that you know, we can kind of engage those folks in kind of a deeper way at Jorgensen, um, but it would be, that would be a big um, a big task because we have multiple audiences like that, folks that you don't really know anymore. Um, so that's that's one of the challenges I think that we face. I was happy to hear that you notice sometimes younger audiences are trying to discover this music because it's like hundreds of years, and you wonder. Talk about golden oldies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, younger audiences today are kind of discovering music from just four or five decades ago, and it's a fresh discovery because they didn't hear it on the radio right. much, but maybe through the Internet or somehow they're hearing this music. But when you go into the traditions you're talking about, it's a cultural journey. It's hundreds of years of like trying to discover what made that last when you don't hear it on the radio much. Yeah, not right? much anymore. So yeah. that's the challenge. So I guess it's got to make you feel good when you see young people coming in at least to find out. Yeah, it does. Um, one thing that I do, I think I wasn't doing this back in the days when we were, you were interviewing me over at the, um, the cable yeah, station. Yeah, the TV show, right. Um, 
But for the last, I don't know, gosh, now it's about 14 years, I've been teaching a, a class for incoming freshmen called Connecting with the Arts. And it's a really great opportunity. And I don't have a large, I, I, I cap it at 30 students. Um, I actually think we probably could go beyond that if I had the capacity to do that, but um, 30 kind of pushes it for me. Sure. But um, it's a great opportunity for me to get to know um, kind of where these, meet these students where they're at, so to speak. Yeah. And um, what I've noticed in more recent years, more and more of the students that are taking my class now um, are actually quite art literate. They've, they have studied classical music, they've danced various types of dance training. Um, some of the kids in the Northeast have trained in New York City. Wow. Um, and, um, and, then, and then I take this off as an opportunity also to introduce these kids to um, musical forms that they probably never in a million years. Um, there's a really talented um, French violinist, Baroque violinist, um, Teotim Langlois de Swart, who performed at Jorgensen last fall with uh, an ensemble called the Consort. He's sort of truly like the, the next big thing in, in early music. Um, terrifically very young. He looks 12. He's about 24, but he's very young. Um, but he came to my FYE class and gave Excellent. a pres presentation on Baroque music and the violin that he plays and, so, and the difference between his violin and a modern violin. And um, I was very, I was really happy because the kids, so many of the kids were very engaged in that presentation particularly and ended up coming to the concert. I can't force them to come to concerts or I choose not to force them to come to concerts. But, um, but I was really impressed with the number of kids that showed up for that because that was a real stretch. Um, I think that Early music and Baroque music tends to be sort of uh, uh, a chamber music, musicians, musicians, music. It's kind of serious stuff and very foreign to, like, modern ears in many ways. So, And maybe you get to more hear the parts in detail, too. Right. As opposed to the larger orchestration, you can really hear the individuals. Right. And he's so close to the age of these students there anyway. Yeah. And that was the key to it, I think, is they, you know, they yeah. felt like they were being talked. They were just having a conversation with a friend. Well, some of those old violins, those trees don't exist anymore. No, that's right. They don't exist anymore. That's right, right. That's why yeah. they're worth millions. Ray Chen's going to be performing at Jorgensen on April uh, 15th, I think, and he's going to be playing a 1750. He's going to be playing the 1715. It's called the Joachim Stradivarius, um, and it was, it was um, wow. originally owned by Josef Joachim, who was a Hungarian uh, composer and violinist. And um, uh, Ray's going to be playing on that violin, which is on loan to him from the Nippon uh, Music Foundation. Yeah. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting to be able to. I always, um, whenever I have the opportunity, I like to ask, could I just hold it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, holding you know, a Les Paul. Uh, yeah. Could I just, could I, yeah. and, and they're generally pretty, pretty uh, okay with that, but, um, oh, yeah. but they don't leave the room. I bet. By, by itself, so. Well, Rod Rock, I want to thank you for being here today. Well, thanks for it's having me. It's good to have you back in the studio. Yeah. We'll have you back again, and I wish you a great season ahead and all good things for the Jorgensen. All right. Well, thank you, John. It was thank great you. to see you, and, and come see us at Jorgensen. You bet. All right. All right, folks, we'll take a short break. Don't go away, and we'll come back and talk about your taxes. Don't go away. Thank you, Rod. Thank you. Oh, sure. Thank you. I'm glad you brought up the violin story because I'm always blown away that that wood is gone. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you, John. Thank you.
So we're gonna have two people. Okay. We'll get one here. Yep. And we'll get one here. Okay. So we'll get one of y'all here comfortably set. On this side. We'll get the headphones out of the way, Matt, for you. Okay. Thank you very much for waiting. You know, I try to book people in the order that we arrange. So thanks for waiting. Of course, of course. And uh, if you wanna come back in March, depending on your success with recruiters, now we can talk about telling people to come out and Thank now you. we're ready to take your taxes. <laughs> now you're just getting ready to go. You're good. Do whatever you need to do. I put another commercial. We got one minute. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One more. We're fine. We got plenty of time. Well, I've been covering this for 15 years. I know. So this is a great, great program. Thank you. Uh, Laura, how long have you been with the village? I have been there for 10 years. Ooh, a veteran, 10 years. Yes. She still walks and talks. 10 years today is talk. a good run these days. <laughs> and as of November, it was 10 yeah. years, yes. And how about for you, Taniqua, in terms of your work at United Way? Actually, next week or in two weeks makes two years. Welcome aboard. <laughs> okay. And you nailed my name. Thank you. I try. I try. Uh, so are the, are the mics okay for the uh, audio? Yeah, I can get a little, a little closer. Yeah. A little closer there. Okay. And is it Hugely? Hugely. Wow, thank you. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Five seconds. Showtime. Three, two, one. All right, we're back on the home front. Thank you very much for staying with us today. Remember, our programs are on YouTube, so you can also get a link to watch these shows and try to connect. The next segment is about taxes this year. It's a great program I've been covering now for 15 years. It's through the United Way. It's called VITA. It's a Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. And at this time of the year, most of us will be getting our W-2s in the mail. And right now, what this program is doing is they're looking for volunteers to get trained to help you work on your taxes. We have two people here to talk about the program and how it helps you prepare and how to learn. First of all, to my far right, I'm very happy to have, uh, her name is Taniqua Hughley. She's the Director of Economic Mobility at the United Way of Central and Northeastern Connecticut. And next to me is Laura O'Keefe, and she's the Director of the Financial Opportunity Center at the Village for Families and Children. So welcome to the studio, both of you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having us. So I've kind of given the overall idea of what the program is about, but can you talk about your goals and what you're trying to do compared to how things went last year and uh, your plans for this year? Yeah, so I, you know, VITA is such a critical service. Um, certainly it is a time of year um, when most of the families we serve, our income guideline is up to $64,000 um, for a household. And so most of our families, when you really come down to it, are somewhere around the $25,000 a year mark for, for a family. So I'm just going to let that sink in for just a second. Is that for any size family? Yeah. Or a family of one? It's it's any size family. It's, okay. our, it's the household income. There you go. Um, so, but many of our families are struggling financially and so tax time is really a t the time of year when a lot of these families have access to 
a, a refund, right? They're eligible for potentially earned income tax credit, uh, maybe some child tax credits, maybe education credits, and some other things that um, that our families would be eligible for. And this is the time of year that we like to capitalize and not just think about just this moment of tax preparation services, but also sort of a broader um, look at people's finan overall financial stability. You know, so many people are facing poverty. There's a lot of things going on with a inflation, a lot of stress right now. Groceries are more, gas is more, lots of things are more. Um, so this is the time of year when people have access to some funds through refunds. And we really like to talk to people a little bit about, you know, what are, what are you doing with those refunds? Like, how can we help you not only sort of pay those bills that you need to pay today, um, address some of those things like gas, like data, care, like food and the things that they need to address today, but also think about the future, not only, you know, for themselves, but for their children as well. And so it's a really op a great opportunity to talk to people about the future a little bit. I know uh, from previous times, the earned income tax credit, sometimes it becomes a political football, but mm -hmm. it's revolutionary in how much money a family can save either for its first house or for college or just health. Mm -hmm. And it's an, it's an easy mechanism once you learn how to do it, but the first time is really hard. Right. Uh, so let's get into this aspect now. You're trying at this time, your goal is to get some volunteers who want to help. Correct. So Taniqua, can you help us about that aspect of it? How can people find you and what kind of folks are you looking for and what would they be obligating to you know, share their time to get ready? Well, good question. And um, what, one of the questions you asked was how, um, what are our goals co for this year compared to last year? And yeah. one of them is to increase the number of volunteers. We're back in person, full time. Um, there was that virtual option before, as you know, uh, due to COVID, but we're back in person, fully in person. So not, not remote at all. So we're really hoping that we can get more volunteers out to assist us with um, in-person preparation. Um, and if you are interested in being a VITA volunteer, we ask that you visit us on our website, the United Way website, unitedwayinc.org backslash volunteer. Um, you can also um, reach out to us on social media. Um, you can also give me a call um, on my um, office phone, 860-493-1104, um, and reach me by email as well. T-H-U-G-U-L-E-Y at unitedwayinc.org. Um, and so my team, we're really working to ensure that we get as many volunteers out in the Wyndham region as possible. Um, we are also looking for a site coordinator. Um, yes, and so the site coordinator will help us manage the location. The site coordinator will help us schedule uh, the volunteers. And so there are several opportunities, as um, several things that you can do be a as a volunteer. Job to help that, right? Would that be yeah. a volunteer or part time? So yes, that would be a, a part-time position um, for the Wyndham um, site coordinator. And so if you have any questions about the site coordinator position, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, also, as a volunteer, you have the opportunity. Maybe you're not interested in um, preparing the, the taxes, but there's opportunities to be greeters. There are opportunities to be intake specialists. Mm -hmm. um, so any skill that you think you can have, we can use in our local lo um, location. 
Yeah, including language um, capacity. Correct. Especially in our area, we have yes. a really strong mix of languages here. Exactly, exactly. And I just wanted to add quickly, the other thing, too, is, like, we never want people to feel intimidated about volunteering. Correct. You know, a lot of times people hear taxes and they're like, yeet, like, you know, get a little nervous about it. Yeah. Um, you know, they there's some anxiety around it. Um, we don't want people to feel that way. People are never on an island when they're doing tax return preparation. We always have volunteers um, together at a location. The site coordinator is there. There's all sorts of help and backup through myself and my office. Um, so, you know, certainly no one ever should feel intimidated by that. We also provide free training and free certification um, through the Internal Revenue Service for um, all of the volunteers uh, to get to get certified to do this program. So it you do not have to be a CPA. You do not have to be a math wizard, um, All any of those things. I, I was not a math wizard or a CPA <laughs> when I started doing this right. program more than 20 years ago. 20. Yes, I've been doing it for a long time. Um, so, you know, again, the training is there. The certification is there. The support is there. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a student, if you're, you know. Semi-retired. Semi-retired, a right. Veteran, any anyone can really be in this program as long as they're willing to come, they're willing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And then you may ask, um, well, how much time do I have to commit as a volunteer, right? And so we're just asking for a lease um, at minimum one session for about four hours a week. Um, but we have folks who volunteer every day. We have some folks who may um, volunteer for two times or three times a week. So we really work with you based on your schedule. Um, and so the more time that you can contribute to being a volunteer, the more people we can serve. Yeah. So here's a question I want to ask, but I don't want to get lost in the details. Mm -hmm. But sometimes a volunteer needs to have a picture in their head of how much will I go through to get trained? Could you give me a, a short summary of if I call and say, I'd like to help? Yes. Uh, can you tell me what I'm walking into? Uh, like, is it a group training? Do you yes. have a couple of sessions? Good How question. do you prepare people? And that picture may make it easier for people to realize they can really do it themselves. Yes. So it is, um, in total, it is a 14-hour training, and that does include certification time, so the testing time in order sure. to become certified to be a volunteer. Um, so we are going to be doing a training up at Eastern Connecticut State University. It is scheduled for the 3rd and the 4th of February. Um, mm -hmm. So we, again, you can contact Tanika for details on that in terms of like where it is on campus and all of mm -hmm. those pieces. Um, the first part of that training, the first day of it, is going to be tax law. So we are going to teach you exactly what you need to know, everything from, you know, filing status to adjustments, all the pieces. It's good for anybody. Yep, right. it's good for anybody to know that, right? Exactly. If you're working or if you have worked or you have income to report, you need to do a tax return. Um, so it's good for anybody to learn those skills. And then the second day is really getting into the software. So we do a demonstration of the software uh, because it's if you've ever used, uh, you know, TurboTax or any of the other systems that are out there, our system is called TaxLayer, and it's very similar to those systems. So it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's sort of data entry. Mm -hmm. um, so we teach you how to utilize that. We do practice problems in real time together as a group. So everybody feels comfortable about that. And then we get into the actual testing. And then we'll, we'll, we're there. The, the instructors are there mm -hmm. during that period of time. And guess what? It is open book because we'll never expect anyone to be at a tax center and not yeah. have the resources, right? Tax law sure. is immense. You're never going to remember every well, single thing. Or you never know if someone's going to ask you a question, a question. that you never <laughs> thought of in Ex 10 years. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So that's the point. Where the, the resources and the support structures are always there, even in training. Yeah. Yep. 
So how is our region doing compared to the state overall? A little friendly competition. You know, this is a quiet corner. I know in the arts community for a couple of years, they were saying this area was too quiet. There were not as many arts applications coming in. Mm -hmm. Now they're coming in. There's much more activity. Uh, how are we doing in this area compared to last year, other parts of the state? There's much less of us. We're spread out farther. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of mass transit. Mm -hmm. So that must impact a little bit. Certainly, and there is a need in this region for sure um, for this service, so we do want to make sure that we are making it available. Um, as Tanika had mentioned earlier, we are building back from COVID, so you know we started yes. off a little bit smaller um, right after COVID because, you know, again, there were just a lot of restrictions in space and things like that. Um, but we're building back, and obviously the more help that we have, the more volunteers that we have, um, the more we can do. So really that's, you know, that's the key um, element there. Um, you know, as compared to last year, I mean, we, I think we did roughly about 200 tax returns um, oh. up here, which is not too bad, no. not too bad at all. Um, so we're just trying to grow that because we know that there's two, more than 200 people in this region that could sure. utilize this service. Um, yeah. So this yeah. region's growing actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then overall between um, the central and northeastern part of the state, we were able to um, provide this tax service to about 13,000, I think 13,500 taxpayers, um, bringing in a total of about 20 million um, in refunds. So really making an impact on our economy. Congratulations. That's a bright light all over the town. Yes, well, because those are reinvested into these communities, right? right? Where people live, work, and worship. So it's yeah. it's really important. Gas stations benefit from that, grocery stores, daycare centers. So we really want to make sure that people have access to the things that they're eligible for. Well, uh, do you have a site in mind yet, or are you still looking for the best home at Eastern, somewhere on the campus? So no, that's where the that's training. Where, yeah, that's where the training will be. Yeah. But the actual location that we're working with and have worked with for several years now is Wyndham Heights. Um, oh, okay. They have a community center there. They do. Yep. Excellent. So what we should do is ask you, when should we have folks back when you're ready for people to start filing? I'm not sure. You have training in February. Mm -hmm. uh, so we figure maybe early, late March. Would it be a good time for us to come back and you know, bring in different groups? Yeah, probably probably the beginning of March, yeah. end of February, somewhere in there, I would say. Yeah, exactly. So toward the end of February, beginning of March, um, we'll definitely have that information. Okay, so we'll stay in touch for that as well. I uh, thank you for coming by today to help us get started. I, I want to thank you for the good work you're doing for our community. I wish you a great tax season. It's kind of strange to say I wish you a good tax season, <laughs> but you're doing good work, and I hope it keeps going for you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much for uh, Taniqua and Laura. Okay, well, our time is flying by on the home front every week. Thanks for sharing some of yours with us. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep the faith.